The word Jesus used to describe what can happen to salt is translated as loses its taste. The original Greek word means to cause something to lose its taste or the purpose for which it exists. If it does that, then there's no sense of having it around. You throw it out and it's trampled underfoot. It's lost its purpose. The word comes from a word that means foolish. And it has a synonym that means to be beside oneself, to not be in your right mind. So the way in which Jesus uses this word doesn't have so much to do with adding flavor to food, but with purpose. And since he uses this little salt metaphor for us, it has something to do with our purpose, with living a life that's not foolish. In addition to bringing out flavor in food, salt is used as a preservative to ward off putrefaction. Makes me think of this little cafe at the university I attended over in Rome. I mean, cafe was along a corridor, it was just kind of carved out of the wall, and there was a bar with the bar stools and espresso machine, and then there was this display case, a plastic display case that was not refrigerated, that they would put sandwiches in at the beginning of the day. In a building that was not air-conditioned, right? So it could get 80 degrees in there. And you think, wow, what's that going to do to my stomach if I eat that sandwich at the end of the day? Well, if it's been cured correctly, got enough salt on the meat, you can survive. Salt is and was used in this way for consumable food. But in the ancient world, salt was used to preserve meat used for sacrifice, So it would be a pure, unspoiled offering to God. Salt has to do with worship. So Jesus is saying that being in your right mind, living according to your purpose, has to do with worshiping God and with making your own little corner of the world a sacrificial offering to God, preserving it from going bad, from spoiling. I think this is a helpful layer of meaning in the context of our first reading and our gospel, the rest of the gospel. For by themselves, I mean, they might sound a little bit moralistic. Share your bread, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless. As though Christianity is just another moral system of values like any other, but with the added threat, do it or you'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot, right? Do it or be damned. Try hard, you can do it. If you don't, I hate to be you. But the meaning of Jesus' salt metaphor helps to provide the proper context. Those good actions flow from a right relationship with God. This is made even clearer in Mark's gospel when Jesus says, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. God's goodness and love is the standard for the proper treatment of others and the source of our ability to so treat them. This is what we mean when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Absent this standard, the standard for the treatment of others becomes susceptible to whomever has the most power, wealth, influence. Priest I know in Uganda would speak about this about how Western aid, American dollars, for example, are given, but often with strings attached that often conflict with their long-held traditional values. 
you can accept this, but you must promote abortion, contraception, these gender ideologies. We don't care what it does to the breakdown of the family. We're here to make your life better. John Paul II was convinced that the devastating effects of Nazism and communism were due to a false conception of what a human being is. A human being, a real human being, is an Aryan. A real human being is an object for the state to use as it sees fit. Think Russia and the throwing away of tens of thousands of the lives of their own people just to move the borders or the battleground a few miles. That's what a human being is, something for us to use. The Catholic conception of a human being is independent of any malleable or misguided or malevolent theories or ideas. Our dignity, our purpose, and our duties originate in our Creator, which the logic of the liturgy presents to us in our entrance antiphon taken from Psalm 95. And it goes something like this. It goes, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout with joy to the rock who saves us. Let us approach him with praise and thanksgiving and sing joyful songs to the Lord. The Lord is God, the mighty God, the great king over all the gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the highest mountains as well. He made the sea, it belongs to him, the dry land too, for it was formed by his hands. Come then, let us bow down and worship, bending the knee before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are his people, the flock he shepherds. Today, listen to the voice of the Lord. Don't grow stubborn as your fathers did in the wilderness. When at Meribah and Massa, they challenged me and provoked me, although they had seen all of my works. Forty years I endured that generation. I said, they are people whose hearts go astray and they don't know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. Now, what did you hear there? Your ear might have caught on to that number 40. Again, like last week, the exodus is alluded to, or journey through life. But notice how that event of the exodus, how following God, is set within this much larger context of the creation of all that is and this rest that comes at the end. It's saying that following him, or not, as the case may be, rebelling, our hearts straying, are not disconnected from all of creation. It's not as though we're just disobeying an arbitrary law, is what this is saying. But in fact, those choices are undermining our very existence because how we are to be, how our hearts are to be, are part of their design, which is why we feel terrible at times when we make choices that are inconsistent with our hearts. The good God who created the beautiful world with purpose created us too. His design is stamped into us, and he is the same source from which a proper way of life is revealed. Now, for the Christian, concern about the environment is inseparable from morality, from how to live well. Protesting sins against the environment is inconsistent with turning a blind eye to lying or cheating or bullying being caught up with the vanity of how many followers I can get on social media, or the greed that impoverishes others. And the concerns about the environment and morality are inseparable from what? From singing joyful songs to the Lord, from bowing down and worshiping him, from bending the knee before the Lord our maker. 
See, Jesus is saying to you, you have a purpose in this life. You have an extraordinarily high calling. It's rooted in the fact of your creation and of your redemption. And it's not something any individual or government can define or redefine for it's existed from all eternity in the mind of God. And if you and I are to live in our right mind, making a creative offering of ourselves and our little corner of the world, then what we are about to do is essential to our success. Bending the knee before the Lord our maker, offering a pure sacrifice and becoming one ourselves.